Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the Top 250 Podcast. I'm Sam Kane. Our movie today is Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. This is the first movie in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I'm here with a very special guest, a Lord of the Rings expert, Nick Watson. Joining you here today, virtually, from Massachusetts. So... This is based on um, a series of books written by J.R.R. Tolkien. There's three novels. Originally, Tolkien just wrote it as one long story, and then the publisher um, was like, hey, uh, let's split this up, you know, make more money, you know. <laughs> I remember. So I first saw the movie, I think I rented it at Blockbuster with uh, my stepdad and mom, and... We just watched it. I, I wasn't too into it. I mean, I was young. so. Mm. But I remember at the beginning of the movie when they show Bilbo, I think my stepdad was like, oh, who is that actor? Like, I'm not, I'm not sure who he is. And I wasn't sure either. I didn't know, I didn't know who he was. And then <laughs> my mom goes, oh, isn't that Joe Pesci? <laughs> wow. That would be now. I see now. I want to see a remake of Lord of the Rings starring Joe Pesci as Bilbo. <laughs> and even even twelve year old me knew that uh, that was definitely not the robber from Home Alone. <laughs> uh, so when did you first see the movie? Did you see it in theaters right away? I know we were kind of kind of on the edge. I, I think this was rated PG thirteen. I. I don't think I saw The Fellowship in theaters. I definitely saw Two Towers and Return of the King in theaters. Um, oh, man, so this is the I, only one. I think, yeah, I think I saw this on DVD. It was really my, my, I mean, it was my first exposure. I hadn't read the books yet at the time. Um, I'm not sure why I loved it as an 11-year-old. <laughs> what, what I really liked was the locations that they went to. They, these were some really breathtaking landscapes that that we see in it, and it's all filmed in New Zealand. I think it, it really shows how beautiful of, um, of a country that is, because we don't see too much of New Zealand uh, in uh, movies, I feel like. So immediately, I was like, where, where is this? And when I was younger, I had no idea where it was. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you can still, I mean, you can go visit the Shire in New Zealand now. It's quite a popular uh, tourist attraction. And, um, I mean, everything else, yeah. it's uh, Peter Jackson, I think, is from New Zealand. If I'm yes, not yes, he is. All, all of his movies, I think, have been filmed there, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, maybe we'll get quite a few more movies uh, filmed out of New Zealand this year. Since uh, it's one of the only places where it's officially safe to be, <laughs> zero cases, I believe, right now. So yeah, good for them. Good for yeah, them. I mean, it helps being an island, but it's more importantly, it helps having a competent government and a population that doesn't fight back every time you ask them to do something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so, okay, so, so, Fellowship of the Ring. So, <laughs> great. So we have the op the opening scene. 
uh, or was this the? I don't even remember what this is the actual opening scene or whether this is just described early on of Isildur fighting Sauron and slicing the uh, the ring from his finger with the broken haft of Narsil. So that was pretty cool to, to start out with that. Or actually, was that even in this movie? I, I yeah. literally can't remember. No, all no. these movies blend together. Or was that flashback in one of the previous movies or no. in the later movies? No, that was the beginning. Um, yeah, I, that was the beginning of Fellowship? All right. Yeah. I haven't seen it since December. So <laughs> So I guess in the book that takes place, there's several battles um, to defeat. I'm sorry. What's the guy's name? It's Sauron? Yeah, it's conf- his name sounds like Christopher Lee's character. Aruman. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm going to mess up these names so much. Um, <laughs> except for Samwise and uh, Bilbo. Yeah. Um, and Frodo. But, uh, yeah, I guess in the book it, it took place over seven years or something like that, and in the movie they just condense it to to one battle because they wanted the um the backbone of the story to be Frodo's journey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Peter Jackson actually it, it, he did a really amazing job with this trilogy and I actually read an article recently which I saw on Reddit that said that we were lucky to have this trilogy made when it was made because it was made sort of late enough uh, into the modern era so that a movie with a fantasy genre could achieve some amount of widespread popularity as opposed to all the, you know, all the guys going, oh, I'm not, I'm not a nerd. So it was late enough for that, but it was also early enough before all the movie studio heads would try to, you know, get involved and mess it up. I mean, the MCU started not that long afterwards. I mean, they had Spider-Man, I think in 2003 and, Iron Man came along not long after that. Yeah, 2008. I mean, can you imagine trying to make Lord of the Rings now? I mean, people would be asking where the Stan Lee cameo was. Not that that makes any sense, but, you know, it would would essentially be that. It would just be a bunch of studio execs trying to figure out how they could make one extra cent from this movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's a sad part. And I... Yeah, I think New Line Cinema, they they pretty much just let Peter Jackson do his thing, which they is did, which, which is, is crazy seeing how he had never done anything significant before. It's significant in a big box office sort of way, big budget. Um, but it it's pretty incredible. And he made a lot of um sort of discretionary choices about what to include and what not to include and what to change while still keeping the main point and the main plot of the story. Um, like just in the Fellowship of the Ring, there are a couple of scenes he cut out that book readers would have noticed the absence of. Um, there was a character named Tom Bombadil in the books who rescues the travelers, the hobbits, that is, from uh, I think it was he rescues them from a tree that was alive and trying to eat them or something like that. Not not an ant, but in a, some different type of tree. Um, and he sings a lot and communes with the forest, and it was all very hippie. And Jackson basically cut it out because it serves no narrative purpose. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, there was a, yeah, there were other scenes where they encounter some uh, white, uh, W-I-G-H-T, uh, they encounter some whites at uh, 
Barrow Downs. I think that's before um, Frodo gets stabbed by the head of the ring race on Weathertop. Uh, just before then, they encounter some other sort of ethereal creatures or ghoulish creatures that chase them away. Now, now, doesn't Frodo have possession of the ring for a long time in the book before he actually goes on the journey? I, I think I read somewhere that it was like 17 years. Yeah, he probably, I think he just had it stopped like, you know, Bilbo leaves it to him and, and Gandalf then finds it in that envelope where he promptly chucks it into the fire and then says, look, it's cool to the touch or something like that. And then you read the the dark language. Um, but yeah, so they condense all that into like an evening or something. But again, I mean, it doesn't really matter. The point is Bilbo gave it to Frodo. Frodo had it for some time. Gandalf sees it, has his suspicions, goes to do some research, thumbing through old scrolls. But yes, as, as everyone may vaguely remember, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness find them is the inscription. So this this ring, it basically represents evil. It's kind of like uh, the will to to power, almost. Yeah, e- evil and, and the evil that comes with power and vice versa about you know how they're both related. Um, and various characters end up having to sort of pass the test of the ring at some point in the trilogy um, of, of whether or not they can resist its call. Uh, and part of the reason I think this is maybe explained in the books or something, one of the reasons um, that Frodo carries the ring is apparently hobbits are much more immune to the ring's magical powers than humans are. Humans struggle with it very much as I mean as we saw <laughs> various humans over the course of the trilogy be uh entranced by it. Yeah. Um Sean Bean's character being one of them. Boromir, yes. Yeah. Um Bilbo, he's a hobbit. Um and he he was struggling with it as well. What do you think that was all about? Well, I mean, the, well, now is as good a time as any to talk about the scary Bilbo scene, which is famous <laughs> among uh, some probably some amount of internet memeing when uh, he encounters Frodo again at Rivendell, um, and he, you know, he wants to see, he sees that Frodo has his old ring, as he put it, and you know, could he just see it for another minute, and then you know he. He sort of, ju- there's like a jump scare, the only jump scare in the whole trilogy, if I remember. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember that scaring me when I saw it on DVD. It scared the shit out of me, too, when I first watched it. Uh, but then, of course, like every good uh, first-time viewer I w- with a DVD, I made sure to rewind the DVD and pause at the exact uh, frame of him doing Scary Bilbo. And... Uh, yeah, they actually did quite quite the makeup job with that. There's it is ridiculous how different he looks. Must have taken hours to get him in that makeup for literally one frame. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and I I guess a lot of the people that worked behind the scenes, the costume designers, um, the the set decorators, they were all fans of the movie. So 
I mean, that that's exactly what you want when you're adapting a book into a movie. You want you want people that are going to work as hard as they can to to um to to find the right vision to mm-hmm. um you know get get a lot of people's opinions people who um have experience um reading the source material yeah but as for your earlier question as to you know how what it what's going on there is bilbo you know despite being a hobbit and being somewhat more resistant to the ring's powers you know he's still when separated for it for so from it for so long he's experiencing a sort of almost withdrawal from the power of the ring i mean you could imagine it's like probably like being hooked up to a continuous iv of you know painkillers or something and then <laughs> someone takes that away oh, uh, and he, i mean to some extent his um like the makeup the little sort of quick scary bilbo transformation that he does is almost sort of like what a bit of what happens to uh smeagol uh in his sort of possession of the ring where it basically eats him in from in the inside and completely destroys him uh i know that's not in the fellowship but uh you know it's sort of kind of like that a little bit because smeagol was a a hobbit a, a river hobbit so the ring can can destroy hobbits too it just it takes a bit longer than men so it, Bilbo just finds this ring in a cave. But what the what's he doing in a cave? Well, just that was uh, I mean, well, that that comes from from the Hobbit where he's journeying with the dwarves um to do honestly, I forget. Uh it's been so long since I've read the Hobbit and the movies were forgettable. Yeah, um that's what I've heard. <laughs> and I mean, part part of it is that the ring itself, they kind of explain this, the ring is treacherous, as they say. It longs to return to its master, Sauron. So he's in the cave, and he finds the ring, but it's sort of implied that it's not entirely by accident, that the ring deliberately dislodges itself from Smeagol's possession when it knows another being is nearby, so that the ring itself sort of wills wills its way toward Bilbo. Um, and indeed, it's, you know, if you're thinking about the ring from the ring's perspective, it, it doesn't end up being a crazy idea because eventually it does find its way back to Mordor. Just not, it doesn't end, get the ending it hoped for as, yeah. as the ring. But, uh, you know, as uh, <laughs> yes. certainly, certainly was a reasonable strategy if you're the ring. Right, yeah, there's like some kind of an unseen force that's that's trying to draw people to it, perhaps. Um, let's see, what else we got here? How about uh, the, the music in the movie is very good. Uh, Howard Shore did the theme. He uses a uh, leitmotif for... Um, a lot of different uh, people and ideas. Um, very, very layered throughout. the The music really helps tell a story. Um, it it really supports the story. Um, for instance, I I guess uh, the Shire theme, or the mm-hmm. not the Shire theme, the Fellowship theme. Has well, because the Shire does have a sort of a theme. 
Yes, yes, that's that's another theme. But I guess it's the fellowship theme um, that only has a French horn in it. It's one French horn. And then when um, the the fellowship is formed with all nine people, um, you start hearing multiple horns, um, multiple French mm. horns and whatnot. So... I have to say, I didn't notice that. I, uh, I, I'm not very good with music in, in movies. I mean, of course, I noticed basically the extent of my uh, noticing was that the different parts of Middle Earth have different <laughs> theme songs. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm at like a first grade level here in terms of what I'm noticing about music. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was uh, the music's definitely top notch people say it's uh it's some of the best composing um of all time um so i i gotta say one thing i'm very impressed with was um you know 2001 a lot of cgi was around of course they were using it in movies but um i think they do a really good job picking and choosing um the right the right times to use it here I mean, like when when they went out into the New Zealand wilderness and they found a real live Balrog instead of using CGI. I thought that was sort of a a really excellent choice to go get a real uh, fiery satanic uh, devil there instead of you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean it was risky, um, but they, they they ended up paying off. That scene actually was was pretty good for two thousand one CGI. The uh, Gandalf fighting the Balrog on the bridge of Khazad Doom. Definitely, yeah. It's um, yeah. I mean, I I I was watching it with a keen eye, knowing that like, all right, this is nearly a twenty-year-old movie, so some of the effects aren't going to hold up. But I, I the the CGI didn't stand out too much like I was very impressed like um like even even Middle Earth I think they um or what's what's the pl- Mordor yeah Mordor um it 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 doesn't look like CGI I, I'm guessing they used um like a, a practical effect there but um I just I the think city of uh Minas Tirith which is the capital of Gondor, or I don't know if they say capital, but the, it's the city, Gondor's main city, uh, yeah. is a miniature, um, which is uh, a pretty impressive construction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I I mean, you can argue that miniatures, when done correctly, will look better than CGI. I mean, um, Independence Day, most of that was miniatures, and... Um, I think some of the effects still work, even though they're a little noticeable that it's it's just models being blown up. Uh. Yeah, I think I think the reason that the Lord of the Rings still holds up today with their CGI is partly because they were so judicious with its use, where they weren't using it for trivial things that they could do with practical effects or special normal special effects like explosives and fire, etc. They were saving it for the stuff that really was purely fantasy. And therefore, it, it doesn't look as 
bad to our eye because we don't have anything real to compare it against. We can't say, ah, that ball rug looks totally fake. The one in my backyard is much realer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so they, you know, the, the effects are used for things that simply don't exist as opposed to things that are hard or expensive to do. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point. They, they de- like, I really liked um, the the mind sequence. Um, I I thought that was really cool. I um, I mean, I'm a fan of like a lot of movies that take place in um, you know settings like that. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade has in uh, in the end, it's kind of like a some sort of temple whatever he's in um and john rise davies is in that movie as well which is funny and then there's actually a movie with ian mckellen that takes place in a similar setting this is a really odd movie from the 80s it was actually one of michael mann's first movies it was called the keep and it was about um really strange plot it was about uh, uh, nazis taking over a fortress and finding uh, a ghost inside but um i i the the best thing about that movie were were the sets and um uh, the the just being like kind of like in an underground cave kind of place and i thought that was so cool what they did here especially with the stairs and the bridges Oh my god, I was cringing when I would see them going down those stairs. <laughs> I was like, no, there's no railing. <laughs> oh no, yeah. they might fall. Oh Yeah, OSHA wouldn't approve of those working conditions. But um, I, I think probably the coolest scene in the Mines of Moria was um, when they stumble across, I think it was Balin's tomb or maybe Durin's tomb. I forget which dwarf it was. I think it was Balin. Um, and they start reading the log of their final hours and they start, you know, they read and they say, oh, the drums in the distance, they're coming. And then it, that silence, which is just shattered by uh, Pippin knocking a skeleton down a well. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, and then everybody's quiet and then all of a sudden you hear it in the distance as the, the orcs and the cave troll. Oh, that, that scene still gives me chills. Like that, the tension... <laughs> yeah. Oh god, that's nightmare fuel right there. So orcs, orcs, they they used to be uh elves, they used to be hobbits. Uh they used to be elves, I believe, and they were tortured into becoming orcs. Mm. Something something to that effect. Okay. And then there's uh introduced in uh I, I think introduced at the in the fellowship, the Urukai, which is the hybrid species created between orcs and man, because orcs are don't do well with sunlight. Um, mm. So Urukai are able to handle the sunlight better, doing due to being a crossbreed uh, between men and orcs, and they can also they also have more strength and better stature, and they can march for days without stopping. As we'll see in the two towers. <laughs> mm, okay, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the rest of them. Definitely. Um, even though technically they're doing this out of order, Return of the King is before this. You'll hear Return of the King. I'm editing this out. Um, so, 
I, I gotta say, one thing that I think could have really <laughs> been done awkwardly but ended up working was uh, the friendship between Frodo and Sam. I mean, first of all, and Elijah Wood was, uh, I think he was maybe 19 or something when they were filming this, but um, Sean Astin was nearly 30, <laughs> so it, it, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this also had the right time, or, or maybe it was just because I saw it, in a, I mean, there are certainly scenes where, you know, someone who was skeptical or wanted to make fun of it could go in and start making you know like oh they're in love but for the most part i mean it was there was nothing like that was really there to uh to make fun of it It was just very it was all very wholesome it it really was they they pulled it off the just the the innocence they had to them and um i i think the audience really connects with it as well i mean you get sad when you see, you know, Frodo leaving Sam towards the end of the movie, and <laughs> Sam's like, "No, it's uh, it's heartbreaking." Yeah, and then so ends the Fellowship of the Ring. Frodo striking out on his own with Sam. Yeah, the the journey continues. Um, and yeah, and um. Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli going to try to rescue Merry and Pippin from the Urukai, which uh, is how the Two Towers picks up. Yeah, looking forward to watching. Yes, and actually, not, and, and yet another meme. You'll get the Legolas gets to see that they're taking the Hobbits to Isengard, which uh, is became a weird YouTube song. Uh, just, just Google it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, but yeah, I think a, a lot of the fellowship. I mean, what's crazy is I mean, it had a lot of action, it had a lot of cool stuff, but it's still a lot of it is just setting, almost setting the stage for all of the characters to begin their arc, because as a fellowship, they're sort of acting as one. They're all doing the same thing, and now at the end of the fellowship every character is set on their on the path to their ultimate conclusion um so lots of cool stuff to come epic battles await without a doubt i mean you think we got we had 3 hours of battles in this one you're like oh my god there's a whole lot more a whole lot more and we're not even talking about the extended edition. <laughs> yeah, I. It's been too long since I've seen the extended edition of Fellowship. I don't remember what they cut. Yeah, I imagine it's not anything too important. Oh, they actually started filming this in the nineties. I I just saw that. Here, I'm checking right now. Yeah, they started filming in October 1999. So it's, I mean, that was two years before it was even released. I mean, it makes sense. They probably wanted to take a lot of time with um, with the special effects. 
Oh, oh, okay. And there's more information here on Ian McKellen. He had to sort out his schedule with uh, 20th Century Fox um, since he was playing Magneto. two-month overlap with X-Men? What's an overlap? Does that mean he's doing both of them? Yep. Oh, that's insane. How, how do they do that? They're filming in New Zealand. Did X-Men film in New Zealand? Maybe he just got a lot of miles. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I can't, I can't judge. I've been, I've been to Australia for the weekend before. <laughs> in Toronto oh that's insane he's going from Toronto to New Zealand well gotta get that paper he didn't have to do cats though I don't know why he did that um, anyways yes that is the Lord of the Rings the Fellowship of the Ring Number 10, top 250, we'll be getting to The Two Towers, eh, about six movies away, but uh, Nick will be joining us for the rest of them, the other two, so please stay tuned and thank you for coming on, Nick. My pleasure, always happy to talk about Lord of the Rings which is my favorite set of movies in the entire world. I picked the right guest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Goodbye. All right, bye.